is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Paval talking about Graph One and onboarding to the Lightning Network. So I really wanted to get Paval on the show to talk about Graph One. Graph One is an exchange in Canada that supports the Lightning Network. He was nice enough to give me an opportunity to try the platform. They've been expanding into um, international customers, so they can definitely onboard different people other than those in Canada. But for the time being, they mainly only support dollars in the Canadian zone, as they might call it, the Canadian dollars. So just keep that in mind. But I thought, you know, this is a unique platform in a unique region. So let's go ahead and get him on here to talk more about it. So hopefully you'll like that. You know, we definitely get into his opinions on Lightning, onboarding newbies to Lightning, the challenges, and all that good stuff. So please stick with us, and we'll have a good show for you here today. Just want to get some little bits and pieces out of the way. If you want to support the show, same place as always, lightningjunkies.net forward slash support, where you can find the various places where you can Listen to us, support us with Bitcoin or Bitcoin over Lightning, and, you know, just our general mission statement and things like that. Not only can you support us via the ways I already mentioned, you can also support us by buying merch from our store. We have shirts, a hat, and stickers. We have two kinds of stickers. One that's just our regular Lightning Junkie sticker, as well as our See You on the Lightning Network sticker that I really like. That one's a little bit bigger, so you can really represent with that particular sticker. Lightning Network represent! I hope you'll consider supporting the show via the various ways we've already mentioned here. Beyond that, sometime in the upcoming future, we're going to be taking a bit of a vacation from Lightning Junkies. I've been doing the show for over a year now, and I want to kind of get back to what I was doing before with the What is Real podcast, where we were exploring different different topics and things like that. So my goal is to slow down on Lightning Junkies and then get back into some different subjects. I had recorded two previous episodes, one with Mario Gibney from Blockstream. We talked about psychedelics. And then another episode with Gigi, and we're just talking about all kinds of, you know, reality things, Bitcoin things, religion things, and I find that episode really interesting. Then last week, I had a conversation that I didn't record with Juan Galt. Uh, Some of you guys might know him from Twitter or his other work with uh, Bitcoin stuff. But anyway, we were talking about something that I'm really into right now called internal family systems. I really want to expand the kind of intellectual exploration that I do with podcasting, not just have it focus primarily on Bitcoin and Bitcoin Lightning. So, you know, that's why we're going to take a bit of a hiatus from Lightning Junkies. It'll probably only be a month long, really, but just so we have enough time to get caught up on some of the different projects that I'm wanting to do will probably rename what is real, you know, change the branding on it because I, you know, move away from the obvious matrix branding and try to find something a bit more unique and a bit more my own while keeping some of the weird personality and character that I had built up on that show. 
and kind of express myself a bit more that way. All that being said, I want to go ahead and jump into this next episode so you can begin learning and taking away new things about Bitcoin and Bitcoin over Lightning. So without further ado, here's the actual show. I would like to go ahead and welcome Pavel to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today, Pavel? I'm doing pretty good, Chaz. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. Uh, hopefully, I pronounced your name right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, some people say Pavel, some people say Pavel, but I'm cool with either one. All right, perfect. I wanted to get you on because you're the only Canadian Lightning Network exchange that I'm aware of. I think that's pretty unique. And uh, I was able to actually try you, even though I'm from the United States. And that's what basically allowed me to say, hey, you guys get my stamp of approval here and made it so I could actually bring you on the show as far as my internal vetting process goes there. Yeah, exactly. We are kind of open to to people from outside of Canada, but it's on a case by case basis. But yeah, I'm glad you're able to actually test it out and see that, you know, our product is working and uh, it's legitimate. You know, not too many people have heard of us. So anything helps right now. Absolutely. Typically, how I kind of do these shows is I start with a kind of a bit of a background of the person I'm interviewing. So if, if you don't mind, could you give me like a brief background on your maybe pre-Bitcoin, pre-Lightning career or life, whatever you want to focus on and kind of start from there, please? Sure. So pre-Bitcoin, basically, I my background is, is mostly fully business. So I graduated from uh, the university here in Canada, University of Alberta. I majored in business economics and law. Uh, and after that, I kind of, I worked for myself for a little while and I was also working in industrial construction for a little bit. I then kind of dabbled into uh, e-commerce for a couple of years. And actually I was doing that for the majority of the time uh, since graduating. And how I actually got interested in, in Bitcoin was at the industrial construction firm I was working at uh, as a project coordinator. There was a coworker uh, in the IT department who came up to me, and at the time I had a side business selling. It was like car emergency kits, like an e-commerce store, and he suggested that I accept Bitcoin. He's like, "Hey, have you heard of Bitcoin?" And at the time, you know, I I did hear about it because I was reading reading things like Zero Hedge, and I was kind of interested in it, but I didn't know too much. Uh, and yeah, I, I got started accepting it. Actually, one of the only uh, I guess easy ways or plugins to accept it at the time was, was BitPay. Um, I wouldn't use them today, obviously for obvious reasons, but at the time, that's kind of what jumped me into it. I started accepting Bitcoin at my e-commerce store, and then after that, I looked up on Meetup.com and I saw there was a local Edmonton uh, Meetup group, and I came out to that and started, you know, going to meetups. This was like mid to late 2013. So I kind of got in right at the time that Bitcoin started to really take off uh, in that year. I kind of experienced the the ups and downs there of that that first kind of, I guess, semi-mainstream bull run uh, and also the downturn and, and, you know, the whole Mount Gox uh, fiasco as well. I was, so I was interested in, in Bitcoin for a couple of years there. But, you know, during that kind of downturn, I... I, I didn't pay as close attention to it. I was running an e-commerce store uh, at this time. One with my wife, we were actually selling like natural beauty products. So I was doing that and I was accepting Bitcoin, of course, uh, through that store. 
And then when 2016, 2017 started to roll around, there was a lot more noise and excitement. And I kind of got to to refocus back into Bitcoin and I started to uh, attend the meetups uh, again. Uh, Then I definitely saw the almost order of magnitude uh, more uh, excitement uh, for this bull run versus the 2013 one. And that got me even more involved uh, in terms of wanting to actively participate uh, in terms of having a company in the space. Through the the Bitcoin kind of meetup group came the idea to to found Graph, basically a Bitcoin Lightning Exchange. Could you say the name of it one more time? Because I was wondering how to say it correctly. Yeah, it's uh, called Graph. Many people probably would wonder, like, what does that mean? The actual origin or the idea behind the name is for the Vandergraph balls. It's like those metallic objects that kind of, um, they create like a, a static shock between them. It's kind of almost related to lightning in that sense in that you you, you kind of like simulate lightning or at least the, the visual effects of it. So Graph would be the way to pronounce it. Thank you for that. In the process of accepting Bitcoin over the years, um, I'll kind of start there a little bit. Did you uh, make much Bitcoin? Did you convert all of it to, to dollars in order to keep the business going, et cetera? Well, that's funny because, uh, you know, one of my regrets was not keeping more. At the time, you know, I just ha- had it as a side business. I needed to pay some of the expenses. So I did convert a lot of it to to uh, to fiat, unfortunately. I did keep some, which was good. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, definitely wish they had more Bitcoin or kept more Bitcoin and they bought more Bitcoin. That's, you know, that's common. But yeah, I did keep some, I think, enough to be happy with for, for a little while. But I uh, definitely wish I had uh, not converted, uh, the, I guess, a majority of it. Uh, and it's funny, though, at, at the time of uh, 2013, kind of right before around when the Mount Gox fiasco was happening, usually every year there's a Bitcoin Black Friday. It's still kind of ongoing. I'm, I'm sure you know. It's where um, stores that accept Bitcoin advertise that they're going to have a sale. So if you pay with Bitcoin, you get a certain discount. And at that time, Bitcoin was pretty much at its near at its peak on Bitcoin Black Friday. So it was I think it was about 1100 US dollars, somewhere around there. That's when I chose to pretty much keep all the Bitcoin that I received for, for products. I wish I had done that earlier in the year when Bitcoin was around like, you know, 300. But I was actually a little bit upset because uh, afterwards, you know, the price started to crash after Mt. Gox. It went down to, you know, 600 and 500, 400, et cetera. But I kind of kept a steady hand and uh, I didn't sell any of that for, you know, for the entire kind of lull period. Right. The the 2014-2015 fun time. Yeah, exactly. It's actually interesting because, uh, you know, attending the meetups when I first started going in, in late or mid 2013, there were about like maybe five or six of us. And then once we got to around October, November of that year, like late December, you, we started to see a ballooning up to like 12 people, you know, 15 people, 20 people. Uh, and then after, you know, 2014 rolls around and then kind of mid-year, it went down back to six. And it was kind of, I think it was like three or four guys at one point. When I re-engaged in 2016, 2017, it was kind of the same pattern where it was like a dozen people coming out. And then it was, you know, 20. And then I think our peak, which was in December of 2017, we had about 
almost 100 people coming out to the meetup. So that's like the most I've ever seen it at. That makes a lot of sense following that same kind of arc there. My experience in the uh, 2014, 2015 bear market was I pretty much ignored Bitcoin for a while and focused on virtual reality for a while because it was just too depressing to even look at Bitcoin because it, you know, went from like 1200 all the way down to, to 185 or 200, depending on where you look. And that was like, I was thinking like, it's 200. Should I just sell everything and just walk away? Or should I, <laughs> should I buy more? And I'm sad I didn't buy more, of course. So you, you, you survived the, the bear market. And on the, the other side, I think what a lot of people did is like, oh, we kind of Bitcoin came back and rejuvenated a lot of people myself included, and started to kind of focus on it more again. What precipitated you uh, creating Graph then? In Canada over the years, there wasn't a lot of choice in terms of exchanges. In like 2013, 2014, you know, there are a few, uh, I think there was like CA Vertex. I think there was one called uh, Vault of Satoshi. And they kind of, you know, they came and went, you know, they stuck around for, you know, two, three years and then they disappeared. And then we had an exchange uh, called Quadriga, <laughs> which I'm sure everyone's heard of by now. And Quadriga for a while was kind of the, the main exchange, like they did the overwhelming majority of the volume. A lot of us weren't, weren't too happy with just having that main option. And it kind of came out of the frustration of dealing with them that we wanted to create something, you know, an alternative, something different. From that sparked the kind of conversation of, well, not just an alternative, but maybe thinking about a little bit further ahead in the future and actually integrating Lightning. And at that time, Lightning was still, I think when when we were discussing it, it was still not on mainnet. Um, so it was kind of early on we, we were thinking of actually launching this. The initial project actually was looking at more so point of sale systems, uh, integrating that and also looking at some type of hardware for Lightning. But obviously, you know, looking at the, you know, the technical challenges, we, we moved away from that and uh, moved towards just offering a kind of exchange through Lightning alternative to Canadians. I think at this point... Um to kind of give maybe some users in, in the United States that might have used some of the other products here already. Um, I think it's fairly similar to River Financial or even to Strike on some level because it makes it very easy to go from fiat to Bitcoin or Bitcoin over Lightning. Yes. So essentially, we allow users to send fiat. The, the easiest way is through Canadians is um, just e-transfers. We only hold a fiat balance. We don't hold any actual Bitcoin balances. For example, if you send us $100, you'll have you know 100 Canadian on your account. And then you can go and instantly buy the $100 worth of Bitcoin through the Lightning Network directly to your wallet. So it's non-custodial in terms of like we don't actually custody any Bitcoin. We don't have any Bitcoin balances. As soon as you buy, it goes straight to your wallet. And so we are kind of similar to to Strike and I guess to River in, in that sense. Uh, we do allow like uh, on-chain purchases for larger amounts too. Like if someone wanted to buy a, a thousand or a couple thousand worth of Bitcoin, we do do that. But I think our kind of big advantage is that you can buy really small amounts of Bitcoin um, without much of a headache, without worrying about like uh, high fees or anything like that, because we don't have minimums on any type of purchases and we don't have any kind of fees on actually funding your account with like e-transfers. Not to call out River uh, too much here, but I'm going to call them out slightly. 
to say that their minimums are gigantic and it's it's very slow to get money onto their platform and that's kind of my problem with them kind of asking about the e-transfers i guess you call you guys call them up there how fast are those because like the the ach in the united states like i think sucks really bad as far as time goes it's like three to five business days is it faster in in canada by chance yeah it, it, like e-transfers usually they would take up to an hour sometimes slightly over an hour but um sometimes they take us as much as 10 minutes it's just a matter of us confirming them so Usually, if you send us an e-transfer, we can get it to process that same business day, maybe within an hour or two, if it's kind of like during the peak hours. And uh, yeah, it, it's really quick. It's just a matter of having your account verified, which is pretty much what you do with any kind of exchange these days, is is you need to uh, do your KYC AML. But after that, funding your account is incredibly easy. And we don't have any type of, like I said, uh, minimums. So if you really wanted to send us like a dollar, then you can buy a dollar worth of lightning. And then I think the fees on that is going to be like two or three cents. So theoretically, you can do a lot if you're if you're doing like really small purchases or micropayments. And of course, you always have the option to do more. I think that's kind of the the market that I, I live in as a kind of just user of the stuff myself that I want a wallet or a an exchange, what have you, to be able to allow me to buy $5 worth of Bitcoin and throw it onto Lightning because I'm doing some stupid project over here that I just want the uh, the Bitcoin right now. I'm a bit of a brat like that, I guess, that I just, I want my Bitcoin and I want it now kind of thing. Um, and I think that the, the businesses that ignore that are kind of making the wrong move, in my opinion. You know, who, who am I to tell them what to do on their business? But I just see a lot of advantages in taking this approach. Do you see any downsides to doing it this way? Because I guess I can't really see any downsides to kind of taking these little piddly amounts of money. I mean, besides maybe just more support tickets, maybe from just people asking more questions. Yeah, it could be it could be that in terms of like support per customer, but uh, I mean for us like the the system for for Lightning is fairly automated. Like there's no uh, there's no need for for manual checking of, of our Lightning payments, uh, and obviously it's almost impossible to do. Versus on chain where there is you know obviously manual uh, signing uh, and sending of transactions, but it could be that there's more support uh, needed if you're. You know, you're doing these small amounts. They're not taking too much in fees. Like I said, if you buy like a dollar's worth of Bitcoin from us, we charge two to three cents on that Lightning transaction, which is pretty minimal. Like we're not really making too much. So that may be from like, a, you know, a financial perspective, uh, it would make sense for some of these businesses to to have minimums where, you know, you force your, your customers to buy more and they earn, you know, a more significant fee on it. But for us, I think right now it's just kind of making it easier to to spend Bitcoin, and we're not too too worried about the financial aspect in terms of uh, scaling at this point. You were kind of saying how you were able to kind of onboard me, and you would be able to onboard other people. Is the experience on the platform, you know, the same for Canadian users and for international users that aren't in Canada, or is it really kind of different? Yeah, it, it would be different. I, I think the main thing is because we're we're based in Canada, we only right now have the fiat on ramp for for Canadian uh, bank accounts. 
So, I mean, if you do have like a Canadian residency or Canadian bank account, then it would be a similar uh, experience. The issue is, is we would need uh, kind of banking relationships with each of these other countries uh, in order to to accept, for example, um, you know, U.S. dollars straight from a bank account or Great Britain pounds or the euro. So for an American right now, it kind of works almost like um, a stable wallet in that you can uh, you can use a platform. Uh, in terms of you can sell Bitcoin to get like a balance and then you can keep that balance for like a spending account. So whenever you need to pay a lightning invoice, you can just pay it from your balance. And maybe that's good for a certain you know small segment of people that just want to have some spending cash and not worry about the, the Bitcoin price bouncing around too much, you know, versus having it in a pure Bitcoin wallet. Do you have any plans to kind of um, establish any of those banking relationships in the in the US for example because I would imagine that would probably be your first expansion if if you were to expand there's um, a desire to do it but I think right now we really want to focus on on the the Canadian market and kind of capturing that and seeing seeing what the needs are there and kind of refining the product uh, I will say that we do have another product in the pipeline on our platform that maybe isn't, uh, you know, in the exactly the same vein, but we're going to be launching kind of like a, a marketplace listing for any places or stores or anyone wanting to sell anything for, for Lightning or for Bitcoin to kind of advertise their goods. So that one was probably going to be more useful to to customers outside of Canada in that if you want to spend some Bitcoin, you want to see some stores nearby that you can you can do that at. Um, you can just go to our platform as well. I think mostly right now for the the purely exchange aspect is we are focusing on Canada, but we do have a product coming that will be hopefully of some use to to people outside of it. You were saying, you know, pretty standard uh, KYC process for, you know, basically anyone that would sign up. But for Canadians, you know, what's the kind of turnaround time to go from, hi, I want to sign up for an account until they're able to uh, use their uh, dollars to purchase Bitcoin? Yeah, usually it can be done um, if it's like, Peak, let's just say business hours, it can be done within a couple hours. So it's usually within a day, we'll, we'll check the KYC and then they can send e-transfer and it's, you know, it's, it's fairly quick. So I say, yeah, within a day, most of the time, and sometimes even within like uh, an hour or two. I think some of the, the challenges on other platforms, especially the ones here in the United States, is that they tend to have uh, like multi-day KYC waits just because they just have higher numbers um, sometimes. I guess my, my question is, you were saying that you don't have a, a lot of press right now going at the moment. Do you plan to expand that part of the business, put more kind of dollars towards that? Or is this kind of more of a slow burn? Like you, you build your, your product, your minimal viable product, and you're going to slowly iterate and not kind of overspend or do anything like that yeah exactly i I think the slow iteration is kind of what we've been doing what we're focusing on the thing with this space is is lightning is it's kind of like a a niche within a niche uh in terms of there's not a, a ton of use in lightning versus just like regular bitcoin and I think this is kind of like a recurring theme that I've heard from from other, you know, lightning uh, application uh, makers is that it's increasing in use, but it's not an enormous market. So right now, I don't know if it would make sense to to completely go gung ho and, uh, you know, pour in a ton of dollars into lightning 
Whereas maybe in a year or two or three from now, you could see that lightning becoming is a lot more important to people in terms of maybe just necessity in that the network fees have uh, have spiked quite a bit and you need to use lightning to pretty much buy any sort of, I'd say, smaller amount of Bitcoin, like maybe under 100 or maybe under a couple hundred. So maybe it will be far more effective to wait it out and see where Lightning goes and then kind of capture the market that way. Whereas right now it's still very small, uh, I think. So, you know, it might it might take a couple of years still to really ramp up. I almost got triggered when you said uh, niche within a niche, because that's that's me in the podcast here that I've had to <laughs> kind of deal with. You know, it's a lot harder to get people to listen to a Bitcoin podcast to begin with and then get to get them to listen to a Bitcoin podcast about a niche technology within Bitcoin is, you know, super fun there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I've experienced the same thing, and and even as like a uh, an organizer of the Edmonton Bitcoin Meetup, you know, just talking to people, people you know may have heard about Bitcoin, but a lot of them have not heard about Lightning. You know, it's it's definitely a really small uh, segment, unfortunately, of people in the space of have, have even heard of Lightning is from what I've kind of found. So I think it will take maybe a lot more time than some people have hoped for, for, for the space to really take off. Not a lot of people have heard of Bitcoin and then not a lot, even less of those people have heard about Lightning. So I definitely know how it feels. <laughs> that whole quandary right there was basically the reason I started the podcast is uh, like I'm trying to figure out how to onboard people into this whole space without like making their head explode. I kind of started with the idea of let's just onboard people to Lightning and skip talking to them about Bitcoin as much. You know, definitely had people give me a lot of pushback on that over the years or over the year, I guess. Do you see like similar kind of challenges or similar kind of thoughts in your head of like, you know, how can we just get people to kind of see the usefulness up front and then kind of deal with a lot of the explanations and challenges on on the tail end? Yeah, exactly. Like from from kind of, you know, doing the the meetup presentations, like there's there's a lot to learn about Bitcoin. You know, I've been presenting like a, a Bitcoin beginners meetup, obviously pre-COVID. And uh, just through doing that, I've realized from all the questions that people ask is that there is actually quite a bit to learn about Bitcoin itself. And then you add lightning and it's like you kind of get into that challenge of like, what's the best way to present this where they're not just like overwhelmed or confused? And even with, uh, you know, with friends kind of asking about about Bitcoin, I've had to spend like hours just just kind of going through the process because there's there's things like, like how do you store? Like, how do you store your Bitcoin keys properly? Like, where do you buy from? What are the dangers? Like, how do I send it? It's just there's a lot. And I think it's still going to take a couple years at least for Bitcoin to maybe get to the mainstream. But I don't think and this might be a little bit controversial. I don't think Bitcoin's ever going to be mainstream in the sense that everyone will know how to use a Bitcoin wallet or how to scan a QR code or how to sign a transaction. Like, I don't think we'll ever get to that point. What I envision with Bitcoin and with Lightning is we'll get to a point where it works in the background, uh, but people don't know that they're using it. So, for example, when we use a web browser, you know, there's a lot of technology that goes into actually connecting you to a website and, and you know, fetching the information and so on and so forth. 
I think we'll get to a point where people are using Bitcoin uh, in almost kind of like a like a web browser that it just it works in the background, but they're never actually having to to send the transactions or to to do anything manually or to you know maybe not even store their keys. So that's kind of what what I see is probably the most likely scenario uh, in that having Bitcoin be successful is kind of that's the only way that I, I see it. Just from from talking to people, there is just there are a lot of barriers to overcome for the average person to to be able to use Bitcoin and and to be able to use it properly. There is this quite a bit. The other side of it too is just there's the security aspect for a lot of people. I think is it's too much. I, I think you know people have almost some sort of difficulty discerning between. Things like, you know, phishing emails and, you know, uh, different types of scams like on Kijiji or Craigslist. And then you apply it to Bitcoin. I think it's a very dangerous space for a lot of people that I think it's the security aspect is a little bit too much for them to be able to handle. Uh, and that's why my kind of controversial opinions in the future, a lot of that will be delegated away to some other type of service. But of course, there will always be people who take Bitcoin into their own hands and, and, and manage it like they do now. Basically, what it sounds like, there is going to be a set of determined nerds that have their own internet backhaul and that's equivalent of the uh, the Bitcoiners. They'll be running their own nodes in 20 years that are still trying to keep up that fight, basically. Yeah, uh, like I think so. And that's the only scenario I, I personally see because just trying to onboard people, there's just there's too much to, to overcome for an average person. And this isn't like, I don't want to be like, oh, you got to be like, have a certain intelligence or skills to do Bitcoin. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying for, I'd say for the overwhelming majority of people, I don't think they'd even want to to deal with all that, with the, the idea of setting up a wallet and backups and storing keys properly. It's just, it, it's something I think is completely out of reach for 85 to 95% of people. I would probably agree with that, but I think that's mostly by choice. Like they're, they they see basically the complexity and say, nope, like their, their brain automatically tells them that like, I just can't deal with all this. This is too much. Turn off, just turn off your brain, walk away, whatever you need to do to, to get out of this Bitcoin thing. Yes, it, it's, it's really intimidating. And I agree, it, it is mostly by choice. I think also it's people are used to certain systems that we've had for for decades or hundred or years that um, that they've gone accustomed to, like these safety nets of you know, for example, if your credit card gets stolen, you know you can recover that money because they just reverse the transaction and there's a chargeback, right? Or you know there's um, the same thing with like e transfers; they'll get your money back. They've kind of grown accustomed to someone else having this 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 security that they present to you and taking care of it so like the fact that you can have a significant amount of of value and that it's just one day it could be gone because you didn't store it properly and there's no recourse for that is is scary and intimidating to to a lot of people and rightfully so Sometimes I get frustrated with how difficult the concept is. Um, I, I, I get it. It's very different than what people normally would think about digital objects, that this is like digital cash, that if you, if you, if you hand someone a $100 bill on the street and they run away, you can't go to the bank and be like, hey, get that guy to give me 100, my $100 back. 
Exactly. It doesn't work that way. And so I, I guess maybe we're just getting caught in a weird uh, kind of time where, you know, the the newer generation has basically zero experience with cash. You know, they might have some very minor amount of experience with it. My generation, you know, the kind of older, like not Gen X, but the Gen Y or whatever you want to call it, the millennials, are have some experience with cash, but they're on the kind of tail end of that. And they're, most of their life has been dealing with plastic or Venmo or whatever um, kind of app kind of uh, money transmission thing. And so, like, this process seems like it should be easier, but just because we're in that weird moment, it's just not... Yeah, exactly. And I also tell people, I'm like, Bitcoin is kind of like keeping cash under your mattress or something. Like if you have cash, you have to store it properly. And once it's gone, it's gone. A lot of people are really, you know, turned off from that. It's not just like, oh, you have to store it properly. There's there's so many attack vectors. Like if someone stores their keys improperly or they they store them like on a, on a cloud service like Dropbox, you know, there's bots scraping and looking for for wallet files and things like that. Or if they, you know, create like a mnemonic seed from, from like a, like from a book or something, obviously there's, that's, that's not secure. So there's, there's a lot of different things that can be really intimidating for someone. And it's a lot to explain as well. And it's kind of like, how are we going to overcome those challenges and how are we going to get Bitcoin to be mainstream? Whenever I have these conversations, I think of my one friend in particular who, like, we went in in 2013. We uh, put money in to uh, make our own uh, Bitcoin miner. We found out soon that we couldn't mine Bitcoin at that point. So we were mining um, Litecoin and and Dogecoin and dumping it for uh, Bitcoin. But long story short, he ended up just having, like, a real sour opinion of all of it. Because he sold at the wrong moment, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why he kind of has a negative thing. But um, he also would, anytime I would be like, hey, try this wallet, try this different app, he would just tear it apart of like, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? Why do I, you know, I don't feel like having to set up a password manager. I don't feel like having to set up a two-factor. And I think not even getting into the in, into Bitcoin per se, but just the user security stuff that I think a lot of Bitcoiners take for granted. That like I think most people have hardware keys on you know any account that can take a hardware key for for a two factor, you know, and that's most people don't even have the regular two factor. You know, I think maybe they're getting there now, but you know, in 2014 that was almost unheard of for most people having a like an Authy or a Google Authenticator type two-factor. Yeah, like I would say even even onboarding people now, um, a lot of people haven't heard about uh, Google Authenticator or Authy. That's another thing. Like there's there's a lot of things that are almost kind of like prerequisites at this point to, to get into Bitcoin that you do you need to teach. And it's it's almost like there's just a, there's a, there's a barrier to entry in that sense. That gets back to what I was saying, that it's a choice that... You have to be able to convince someone, I think, on a philosophical level and not just on a, hey, it's Bitcoin. It's kind of cool. You can go buy, you know, whatever the hell with it. It's about like, okay, so do you want to actually protect your money against central bank inflation 
And they're like, uh, why, why do I care about that? Like, uh, uh, okay, let's have that conversation then. It, it can get so difficult because one, I don't like having those kinds of conversations with friends because it gets kind of heated or it gets kind of whatever. I have actually given up on those conversations for the most part. Like I try not to even go there because it tends not to advance. It just tends to be like, okay, Chaz, pat on your head. Good for you. Your, your Bitcoin thing is making you lots of money, I'm sure. I'm like, that's not why I'm trying to tell you about it. It's interesting with Bitcoin. I think the whole space is really a lot of different types of, of characters. People have different reasons for being interested in it. For one, you know, there's there's a people from like the, the political side, say like the, the libertarians, that, you know, for philosophical reasons, they're in Bitcoin. And then you have people that are more into the technology, like the programmers, and they see it as programmable money. And what can I do with this? What can I create with this? And then, of course, there's people that are just speculating and they're like, oh, I can get rich from this. I can, you know, I can make some money or a number go up. Yeah, or, or exactly. Or they go off into the ICOs or the you know, the yield farming, all that kind of thing. So there's there's a lot of different character types that are interested in Bitcoin for different reasons. It's hard because you have to almost, uh, your message is, is different for each type. I guess even like maybe I'm the, some kind of combination of the three that you listed there. Cause like, I feel like you basically have to have the, un- the, un- the underpinnings of why Bitcoin matters before you really can get into the technology. As Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can just say, hey, it's cool technology, ignore everything else for some people. But I think for most people, they have to understand the philosophy of why it even exists. I think I was captured uh, by the kind of gold Ron Paul narrative. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Ron Paul. Oh, very. Yeah, actually, that's funny. I, I still have my Ron Paul 2012 t-shirt <laughs> from, from back in the day. So I was definitely into like the you know, bullion uh, before I was into Bitcoin. And it's funny because a large subset of, of, of that crowd kind of shifted into, into Bitcoin cryptocurrency. So I got into it from you know the philosophical kind of route as well. That challenge, do we have any real good answer to that? I feel like I've been asking this question and it just tends to be education. We just got to talk to people about it. We just got to keep just going around. <laughs> what I believe is, is like kind of what I said is that Bitcoin is, it's going to be used, but it's not going to be used in the way that we're seeing it now, or particularly not as much. Like if it, if it hits mainstream adoption, the way I see it is that it's going to be used in the background of, of software to carry out certain functions versus people just kind of sending it back and forth and using wallets as much. I have a friend actually here in Edmonton who's working on a project called Money Socket. And basically, it's kind of a, almost like an extension protocol for, for Lightning to basically automate some of the, the processes uh, for connecting different applications. So instead of like... Right now we see, you know, you have to pay a bolt 11 to, to do this, to do that. It's going to make that more or less uh, automatic. So the users won't, won't necessarily need to, you know, be scanning QR codes all the time. And I think at some point we will get to it where we'll have applications that are primarily only available or only possible because of Bitcoin and because of the Lightning Network. 
people will be using nodes without necessarily knowing that they're actually using Bitcoin. For example, here's like a couple ideas. You can have like a video streaming service as potentially where the person who is who's casting uh, is able to receive payments automatically through Lightning Network for whatever time period that uh, people are watching. So I can tune into, say, my favorite uh, channel, and they might have a rate of, like, say, a thousand satoshis per minute or something. My payment will automatically go to that creator uh, for whatever amount of time that I'm actually watching them without me needing to pay a, a bolt 11 every minute or every every 10 minutes or without needing any kind of prepayment. And then say, for example, there's another creator uh, that I want to watch. So I just switch the channel and then my payment automatically goes to that new creator. So things like that with, with micropayments would be interesting. Where I see that uh, Bitcoin might be in the background is that someone might come up with a um, like a another, I guess, layer on top of it, or not a layer, but um, a kind of a fiat on ramp. In that, the people who are subscribing to, um, you know, to to the video might be actually paying with with fiat. Like maybe they're just paying with their debit card. Maybe there's a a payment processor that is basically allowing you to pay with uh, with dollars, but the actual creator is getting Bitcoin. And in that sense. The person watching might not realize they're using Bitcoin at all, but the person who is on the receiving end is getting Bitcoin. Or they could also have another uh, fiat off-ramp there where they're actually receiving whatever currency they want to. Maybe they're you know in Europe, so they're getting euros. So Bitcoin is being used in this transaction, but a person on one end is using dollars, a person on the other end is using uh, euros. Bitcoin is kind of facilitating this and the lightning is facilitating this with with micropayments without anyone really knowing or or needing to know how to use uh, a Bitcoin wallet. My general response, I guess, is or my general thought process is, okay. do you do you see the future like this kind of idea you're laying out? And maybe the future that you're saying where most of these things are going to be kind of in the background. Do you see Bitcoin becoming a global reserve currency in that? Or do you see Bitcoin becoming relegated to much more of a just a kind of a tech stack and not really a disintermediator of central banks or anything like that? You know, it's hard to tell. I can't really make that prediction because having Bitcoin as like a global reserve currency would be. I think almost turning the whole world upside down, like on its head, you know, that's to have a decentralized currency that potentially is difficult to manipulate. You can't really inflate. It's just complete paradigm shift that I personally don't think is likely. Like, I just don't see the kind of global financial system allowing that. I don't know. Maybe it could happen. Maybe it's just, maybe it's something that's inevitable. I don't know. For me, it's hard to see that happening easily or at least someone allowing it to happen easily but i definitely do see for sure there is a future in using bitcoin more as that programmable money and using it as kind of background function that that solves some type of problem that we haven't been able to solve with traditional currencies i definitely see a future in that it could be both but i you know i have my doubts of it really just turning the world on its head at least anytime soon maybe not in our lifetimes 
I guess maybe to kind of uh, dig into that a bit deeper, maybe there's a uh, tension here in, in my eyes of kind of, quote unquote, normie uh, users that are using kind of fiat only. And then you have your, you know, Bitcoin diehard who basically has a good percentage of their wealth in Bitcoin, maybe gets paid in Bitcoin, maybe spends most of their money in Bitcoin. And just lives in that world, accepts the volatility if they're if they even notice it anymore. Like for example, I don't even notice if it goes up and down anymore. There's that tension there. So how does that kind of work out in your in your eyes there? I see that all the time. Like personally, I'm I'm kind of that in between, in, in between the kind of the normies and, and the Bitcoiners, right? But I definitely sympathize and I definitely try to kind of see what the normie problems are in terms of of with bitcoin even as a company we've we've done some market research like we've we've surveyed some areas uh to basically see what people who aren't into bitcoin what their thoughts on it are what their concerns are we've surveyed people like venezuela and south america there is concern about you know volatility you know if if a person doesn't have the disposable income or the luxury of waiting it out for the price you're waiting a couple of years, it doesn't necessarily make sense for them to to use Bitcoin when it could go up or down, you know, 10, 15, 20% in a day, especially in, you know, in like a developing country where you have to buy, you know, you have food for, for your family for the week. If you can't reliably know how much your money is worth, or at least it's not stable, that's definitely going to be an issue. And even in those countries, like their own currencies aren't that stable as well. So I definitely see this tension where a lot of Bitcoiners and people that are really invested in Bitcoin, they don't see that as a problem, the volatility. But for the average person, and especially in some of these different use cases, it is a huge problem because it, it could affect their lives in a, in a pretty dramatic way. I would probably agree with that there, that it'd be much more difficult for someone that maybe didn't start their journey in 2013 to try to do that uh, now. Like if they started in 2013, maybe it would have worked out um, depending on when, when they started, I guess. Yeah, that's a, a really good concern. I guess the the argument that I would probably see from Bitcoiners in that case would be, well, over the long term, the volatility is going to be, be reduced because, you know, we're going to 100,000, then a million per Bitcoin. Do you see that argument, you know, making sense if that does happen, that maybe we get to 100,000 and we just kind of stick around some similar number for an extended period of time? Would that alleviate that issue or is that still kind of in play at that point still? It's been speculated for a long time, ever since I've been in it in 2013, that at some point, you know, Bitcoin's going to stabilize, but it's still having these these pretty major swings. And it's impossible to really predict what the prices of Bitcoin is going to be. Obviously, a lot of us in the space are, are hopeful that it's going to increase over time in the next two, three, five, 10, 20 years. But we don't know. And we don't really know if we're ever going to get to a point where this market is completely stable. And for some people... It's it's always going to be a concern, especially if they're used to, like, say, a currency like the dollar, like the American and Canadian dollar. They they kind of have a lot of confidence in that, 
you know, their paycheck from last month is still going to be worth something next year. You know, there is inflation, but at least for them, they have that like the peace of mind knowing that their government is, is taking care of them. Of course, not all of us would, would want that. But for a lot of people, they are drawn to that. And that is kind of important to them, knowing that uh, they'll have stability in their, in their spending and in their savings. So it's impossible to predict whether Bitcoin will stabilize at some point. If we get to that point, I think it'll be a lot easier to make that argument to no coiners to basically say, well, this is pretty stable or it's, you know, it's a deflation currency. It's more or less rising in value, but we're not there. And I don't know when we will get there. Right. That's that's fair enough. I think I'm going to switch over to lightning here a bit more on kind of more on the lightning side. Um, I I see a, a future. I think a lot of people probably say a very similar future where people might be on a custodial wallet primarily. Um, and that's just the unfortunate path that people kind of take. I think he referenced that the internet kind of took a similar path where it um, became a lot more centralized and a lot less of the kind of what people dreamed of in the 90s and the 80s, I think. Is there any way we, we could stop that? Uh, stopping that? Or, or making it less of a thing? I know these are kind of sometimes not the, the most popular opinions, but... I think of myself as kind of like a a realist, maybe a little bit on the side of pessimism, but I think people always be drawn to that custodial nature of that someone taking care of the issues for them, of delegating those risks and responsibilities to someone else. It's almost an inevitable kind of uh, reality in our society. From my experience in terms of onboarding people to Lightning, you know, it's actually... It's gotten a lot better. Like I think there's there's positivity in terms of not having like these custodial solutions, but still making it easy to to onboard. For example, like the the Breeze and the, and the Phoenix wallets are pretty good in, in that it kind of takes care of the whole channel management aspect, and you know the user doesn't need to worry about uh, channel liquidity or monitoring that or connecting to channels or anything like that, while still kind of maintaining, you know, a degree of control over their own funds. I think those are really positive examples of of what's almost kind of like a hybrid in that they're still controlling their funds, but they're not having to be responsible for every single thing and not having to worry about the headaches of like, hey, I want to receive payment, but the channel balance is just not, it's not in my favor right now. So I can't, I can't receive what I want to receive or vice versa. So those are, you know, I think good things in the space. And I think over the past two and a half years or, or almost three years, there's been a lot of progress towards those types of solutions, which have, uh, are definitely great. I think that's an interesting point that Phoenix is maybe like a, a hybrid. Do you think that that sort of thing will become more common? Because I think obviously people see the same tension that you do there, or at least see the possibility of that future there. It will be. Uh, I believe that either custodial or hybrid custodial is, is more or less where most new users will will kind of take the take the dive and stick with. You know, from from the usage that we've seen, and uh, as I said, we did a survey for like people in South America, and so we actually paid a little bit of of lightning um, with that survey. And for almost everyone who who took that survey, it was the first time using Lightning Network, and it was the first time for a lot of people using Bitcoin even. So from from seeing that, a lot of people did gravitate towards 
some of the custodial um, solutions and and some of those hybrid solutions. So a popular one for for that was Blue Wallet and Wallet of Satoshi. So people really seem to enjoy the experience there. Just from kind of interacting with with those that aren't really deep into the space, it's almost like magnets. Like they go to those because it's just it's the simplest to use. And for a lot of people, that's ninety five percent of their uh, decision making is what's easiest to use. So I think it, you know it is a challenge in terms of creating applications that are easy to use, but don't completely give up your sovereignty or your control over your own funds. There's this FUD that that goes around pretty commonly um, outside of Bitcoin. You know when they're trying to talk trash about Lightning or Bitcoin, whatever, that they'll say, "Hey, these." These uh, Lightning wallets, these Wallet of Satoshis, or these Blue wallets are custodial. It's basically like PayPal. Do you think that that opinion is kind of nonsense, kind of BS, just because it's we're so far away from PayPal, even at this custodial level as is? Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, it, it, it is definitely a baloney. Like, I think with Lightning, with anything... People who, who don't like it, they made up their minds and they're just going to find any you know, any excuse to really criticize it, you know, fairly or unfairly uh, in this case. I mean, there's a, a lot of solutions that are non-custodial that a lot of people use. A lot of people use Breeze Wallet and people like to use Phoenix and people like to run their own nodes or, or use some other type of, you know, hybrid solution. And not necessarily everyone uses custodial wallets. It's just an option. It would be like criticizing, you know, Bitcoin for having, uh, you know, the blockchain.com wallet, for example, or something like that. It's that's just one of the many options. Like it's not a a requirement or to to use a custodial service, but it's just a lot of people will opt to use it. I guess I just take more of a um, offense, quote unquote, to the, being called PayPal, that even Wallet of Satoshi, that it is, you know, being held by someone else technically, I still have like the ability to instantly send my sats to any other Lightning wallet, including a node that I run myself, so I can take custody practically instantly. It's not to say that they couldn't stop or, you know, they could stop doing that tomorrow and keep everyone's Bitcoin and be like, ha ha ha, you know, we're going to exit scam you. I think at this point, it's far less likely, you know, they're out there. The game theory to me at least says that they're incentivized to actually continue their business and to grow it. And, you know, because they they also have their living room of uh, Satoshi thing that's for, you know, Australian users that can, you know, do different merchants down there, et cetera, that that, you know, really is something that they want to keep going. I'm sure it's within their best interest to keep that going. Anyway, long story short, that it's I think it's so much better than PayPal. PayPal sucks so much. And I think it's so unfair to compare it to PayPal. Honestly, I think it's a completely, you know, stupid comparison like PayPal. The biggest problem I have with PayPal and personally, because I've told you, you know, I ran e-commerce businesses is just like their chargeback policy. What happens if someone uses a stolen credit card and buys from your e-commerce store, say, and it uses PayPal? Well, the person on the hook is is not the person who stole the credit card, obviously. It's not the person who had the credit card stolen from them. The bank compensates them. It's not PayPal. It's the store. And in many cases, it's very difficult to even catch some of these transactions 
especially if they're done like in smaller amounts, like uh, like say under under two hundred dollars. It's basically the the person who's running a store is completely vulnerable and on the hook. And at any moment, PayPal can you know freeze your funds or reverse your transactions. There's a lot that they can do that is could be detrimental to a business. Like personally, I've lost a couple thousand at least through my e-commerce business just through these um, chargebacks for for people using stolen credit cards. It definitely it's it's almost impossible to to stop. You don't have that with even a custodial wallet. One, it's for a Lightning transaction, it's fairly hard to. To track uh, and two, like they, it's just not something that they do. They don't freeze your funds. They can't reverse your funds. It's just completely different. And fundamentally, I have trouble seeing how people even make that comparison. Uh, maybe it's just that they don't, they don't know how Lightning functions. There's a lot of misconceptions with people who don't use Lightning that Lightning is custodial and that somehow uh, anyone could, you know, could take transactions back if they're in their own channel, things like that. It's just like there's a lot of these weird misconceptions out there that uh, that are kind of fueling these types of comparisons. I think I'll agree with you, though, when you've said that it it's mostly sounds like uh, willful ignorance or just dishonest people just saying, I don't like Lightning because I hate Bitcoin and I hate I hate all everything you guys are doing. It's an unfortunate reality, but I see it all the time. Like it's just the uh, the weirdest misconceptions about lightning that are just completely off base, and some of them are just kind of stuck around from the early uh, 2018 and 2017 days. Some people still think that you need to connect to every single uh, person you're paying. Like you need to connect the channel to it. like things like that. It's just part of the problem is maybe because lightning is so small. There's not a lot of um, education and marketing around it, so it, it's it's pretty easy to get caught up in the ignorance, especially if there's, you know, someone from the Bitcoin Cash side, for example, uh, telling them that this is the way Lightning is. It's just the uh, Lightning has a very small crowd and it almost kind of has a, a marketing problem, and that's it's hard to overcome some of these misconceptions just because there aren't that many voices um, advocating for it or at least uh, being able to negate some of the FUD. That's why we're out here trying to talk against this FUD here. That's definitely difficult. And I think two of the biggest sources of this is, like you said, it's from Roger Ver on the uh, the Bitcoin Cash side. And I think the other one is uh, Craig Wright from the BSV side. Like, I think Roger is really good at throwing out his kind of dishonest misconceptions about Lightning because he doesn't bother to go look at it. And then I think Craig Wright is just, um, he's smart enough to know that what he's saying is nonsense, or maybe not, who knows, but uh, maybe he's just at a similar place. It seems to be that a lot of the FUD that I get seems to be, you know, the traveling salesman problem that Craig Wright uh, made popular in in his thing, saying that routing is not possible or anything, even though we're... I'm doing routes with like six hops in it or something. It's very similar to things that Roger Ver says, but I think Roger Ver has a, has ones that are easier to unpack. The traveling salesman problem sounds really complicated and advanced and mathy, so you you need to go do the maths on on that one. Yeah, you're right. Like we need to get a better education. Um, sometimes I try to think out like, should I go on to YouTube and have like these basic instructional videos that people can link to and have ads on various platforms like on Instagram, on Twitter, just saying Lightning Network is not this, like Lightning Network is not that in order just to throw it out there. Do you have any thoughts on how we could maybe do that? Any kind of uh, more small ideas here? 
I think the best way to clear up these misconceptions that lightning doesn't work is to push the space forward and, and actually succeed in terms of like someone maybe creating a killer app or killer apps that function with lightning. I mean, the best way to, to really prove them wrong is to create something that is that works and it's hard to dispute that it works. Right now, I think the... The, the issue is that there's a lot of like small lightning companies and, you know, we each have a kind of our own products that we're experimenting with, but there isn't a major big killer app that uses lightning and that can only pretty much function because of lightning that someone could point to and say, well, look at that, like that is working. And that basically is working despite all the, you know, the, the weird criticisms that you're saying. I think once we get to a point where we have like major applications that can uh, showcase the, the power of lightning, it'll be a lot easier to convince people because we'll have a real life examples or, or at least well-known examples of how it's working. Do you think there's anything that the listeners could do to help kind of drive this stuff forward? Yeah, I think the listeners could start playing around with more apps, giving their feedback, maybe circulating ideas of what they'd like to see with Lightning. Um, maybe some of the li- listeners right now, if they're if they're curious and want to start a company or they're entrepreneurial and they have an idea, maybe just go for it. Right now, the way that I see the space being a, a niche is all of us Lightning companies, we're kind of like gold prospectors. Like, And this is at the point where we're all traveling to to different locations in the West or say the Yukon, but no one's really found gold yet. Everyone's kind of digging in their own little areas. Like there's, there's games, you know, there's exchanges, there's art platforms, there's all these different things. And everyone's kind of looking for, for gold for the next killer app. But so far, I'm not sure if anyone has found it. And so what we we need is maybe we need more prospectors, or at least maybe we need more feedback. Maybe we need people to tell us where to look for the gold. Maybe they'll say, hey, Lightning could solve this problem. And maybe someone will come along and say, yeah, maybe I can try my hand at actually building a, a product to, to address this, a solution. So I think right now, more engagement and more active participation is definitely good. I know a lot of people, you know, like to kind of educate themselves on these different things, but I think active participation, active feedback, creating companies is really be useful to, for the space. Maybe start with, you know, building out a node, trying to understand how all that stuff works, and then trying to kind of push your head towards seeing how you can give back. I think that was kind of my arc that, uh, I was understanding a lot, a, a lot of the stuff. I wanted to understand it more and faster. So, and then also, I wanted to give back so others could do the same. So, hey, I, I created the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. So, I think I would probably advise the listeners very similarly that if you have any kind of inkling, or you know, if you love Bitcoin, if you love Lightning, or you're really into the stuff, even if you don't love it per se, that, you know, try to give back and in some way, try to be creative, try to have fun, try to play. Because I think that's when most people tend to create the best stuff is when they're just at pure play. Uh, I definitely agree with that. And I actually, it's, you know, I want to thank you for actually doing this, uh, this podcast show, because you're one of the only few in this, in this tiny little space that is kind of projecting our voices a bit and giving us a, 
a little bit of a, a bigger audience, you know, otherwise it'd be, I think for a lot of people tough to, to find information because it's all, it's all kind of fragmented out. You know, it's even hard to find places where to spend lightning or where to buy lightning. It's all, it's all over the place. So it's good that you, you know, are giving back by creating this, uh, this platform to, to kind of aggregate things and to focus in on different aspects of lightning as well. After thinking about it for like for a, like an hour, I guess, how you were kind of telling me at the beginning how the business is kind of a like a long term play. I've had to kind of realize that's the same thing with the podcast, that it's as, as a business anyway, not just a giving back to Bitcoiners and Lightning fans. Lightning is tiny. Like I was saying, it's a niche within a niche. I can't expect the business to, you know, be as big as a regular Bitcoin podcast or a just a regular podcast period. But basically, if I keep going at this for for years, let's say that and lightning does take off, then I'm going to be in the right place at the right time already. Exactly. But, you know, the thing is, is none of us can predict the future, right? It's, it's, it's hard to tell. And, uh, you know, as I said, there, there could be a few things that precipitate lightning taking off one, a obviously being a killer app and B just being, you know, out of necessity of, of, of fees rising. So who knows which will come first or in at what time, but I think persistence is good. And I think it will eventually, uh, explode. It's just a matter of, of when and just keeping with it. Right. I, I definitely see it as a making a bet and then having a conviction with that bet. And I think that's um, obviously where I've been with Bitcoin for a while. And then when Lightning came out, I made a second bet on on top of my first bet. We'll see if that pays off. You know, who knows if it really will. I obviously think it will, but uh, got to be honest and say, I don't know the future. Um, I am going to start to kind of wind down the show here a little bit. Taking a step away from the whether or not it'll be totally custodial or not, um, do you see the future of Bitcoin involving Lightning? Do you see it kind of staying at the like kind of layer two situation, or do you see some of this other like layer three RGB type stuff taking off a lot more in the future here? Yeah, I definitely see it as a. Uh another layer on top of lightning like as i mentioned um you know the project that i'm really interested in money socket is basically another layer on top of lightning you know looking at kind of the the user experience you know i, I think with a lot of lightning wallets what really happened is they looked at like bitcoin wallets and they just kind of adapted to lightning i don't think there was a a real big paradigm shift in the way of creating lightning wallets that has made it uh, you know more user friendly we're still kind of scanning qr codes we're still kind of doing things manually and the way i see it is that layer 3 could possibly automate that process and that's where it kind of intersects with my idea of moving things into the background is that maybe we will have these like layer 3 solutions on top of lightning that will really make everything work in the background of some type of software that will really drive people into the space. And maybe someone will build a killer app from that. Maybe it's a video streaming platform. Maybe it's podcasting streaming or something. Or maybe it's some type of, um, you know, like software processing or, you know, something like this might come out of that. But I definitely see that there should be another layer on top of Lightning. And I think it's probably the, the best way to go about it is 
just the same way that we don't stuff everything into the you know uh, each Bitcoin block, we we put things into Lightning. Is that if we want to create more complex sorts of of things like you know smart contracts, you know for example, we want to add that as an extension, an optional extension uh, on top of Lightning. So yeah, I will definitely be looking out for uh, for a lot of these kind of uh, to call them layer three solutions. I think that's definitely where the the future of of lightning or at least bitcoin beyond lightning is going to go yeah i would definitely agree with that um most likely just to kind of throw it out there for uh listeners i'm probably uh gonna get giacomo on the show again to try to explain rgb to me again um uh, just because i feel like i didn't get it the first time he was on the show and we were in berlin and i think we were really jet lagged so i think we could probably do better i will say i i recommend uh Maybe in a month or two, uh, if you keep an eye on, uh, I know I've been shilling this all podcast long, but uh, get Jared on um, from Sparkshot. He's the one doing uh, Money Socket because that is definitely going to be a really interesting uh, layer three project that I'm looking forward to at least. And I think would be would make for a great podcast as well. I actually invited both of those guys over. Um, I can't remember their names at the moment. Jared and Dean. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I invited both of those guys on the show. I haven't scheduled it yet. That one should be in the next month-ish from when this is released, because this will probably be released in two weeks or so. Yeah, we'll have those guys on, and we can kind of uh, unpack a lot of that, because, yeah, I I keep looking at their stuff and being like, I don't understand what the hell is going on. So, yeah, we could have them on here and explain it to uh, to me and to, and to the audience and uh, unpack all that. We're going to kind of reach the end of the show here. Um, was there anything else about Graph that you wanted to share with me or share with the audience here? You know, I, th- I think I summed most of it up. It's just uh, it's a very easy way to to buy Bitcoin in Canada with Lightning, you know, like uh, natively integrated. It's just there's no minimums. You can buy small amounts. It's fairly quick. We're kind of a, a really small exchange, so we can offer you know customized customer support. We're kind of here to answer your questions, help you out. Definitely able to to be a little bit more hands on than some of the bigger exchanges. Um, we definitely have the time to help you out. And if anyone's interested, you know you can check us out. I think you'll have the the link there in the podcast in the description. Just for the uh, the uh, lazy people out there, how how can they quickly find your sign up page? Go to app.graph1, so app.graf.graf.1, like O-N-E. Um, you could also follow us on uh, Twitter. It's uh, at graph1. Um, we'll have like updates there, and you'll have the, uh, the site link as well. So that'll probably be the, the easiest way to get a hold of us. Right. So everyone, you guys need to sign up for this and to kind of tell everyone about it, because I, I think we need more Lightning Network exchanges out there, especially in the, uh, the, the uh, cold north there. I would love to get more people using this, get more Canadians on there, get more international folks on there. So please check it out, because I, I really want to build out these sorts of uh, apps and things. And then finally, do you want to let the listeners know how they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, is Pavel. Um, if you search Pavel at Graph One, you should be able to find me. Although uh, my last name is a little bit difficult to uh, to pronounce, 
I think Twitter is probably the uh, the best way to to reach out if you just kind of uh, search for Graph One. My tag is Dolzhenko Pavel, but I don't expect you to type that in or remember that. So just just look for Graph One Pavel, and uh, I think that's the the easiest way to find me. Well, fantastic! I really uh, appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast. Boom! That was the 38th episode of the Latin Junkies podcast. Hopefully you learned something from this episode. Hopefully you were inspired by this episode. Maybe you should create something, a podcast, an app. Try to help others onboard onto Bitcoin, onboard onto the Lightning Network. Do the good work of Satoshi. Beyond all that, I think we're going to keep it relatively short this evening. If you learned anything from the show or otherwise took anything away from the show, please consider supporting us at lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. You can also buy merch from us at store.lightningjunkies.net. If you didn't learn anything from us, please let us know. You can find us on Twitter at LNJunkies. For now, let's go ahead and end the show. I shall see you beautiful folks later. And don't forget, curiosity, compassion, and self-love will open up your life and lay it bare before you. I will stop being a hippie now, and I will see you on the Lightning Network.